We're going to get started today. We're going to be in Galatians 5 again. Excuse me, in Galatians again. We're going to be doing verses five, chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. I'm excited to share with you today. Uh, but we want to start by just inviting the Lord and, uh, and praying over our time together today. Good morning, Jesus. Good morning. We seek your face today, Lord. Thank you for being here. Thank you for being with us, Lord. You are so faithful to show up. And Lord, I pray over every person here today that you would open our ears to the message that you have for each of us. Lord, that the words of my mouth would not be mine at all, Lord, but that they would be yours and that they would meet each person here where they need you, where they long for you, where they're hurting, where you want to give them increased life. Right now, Lord, we intentionally open our hearts to you. We pause to intentionally open our hearts to you. And we invite you to speak, Lord. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. All right, so we are in Galatians 5. We're going to read verses 1 through 12. I want to let you know um, I do have a teaching background. My um, degree is in elementary education, so you'll see it kind of trickles into, into everything I do. And one thing I like to point out is that not everyone reads Scripture uh, the same way. For example, there are some folks who learn by listening. So if you are a person who learns best by listening and you don't want to look at the pages, look at the word in your Bible, you don't want to look at it on your phone, you want to just listen, that's okay. We're reading from Galatians. It's freedom, right? Freedom! You don't have to actually look in your Bible when we're reading scripture if that is not how you learn best. Or maybe you're a person who learns best by reading. If you want to read and tune me out for the next minute so that you can actually understand what it says in the version that you prefer, I give you permission. You are welcome to do that. Let's access the scripture in the way that you best understand it so it can really get to your heart. Here we go. Galatians 5, verses 1 through 12. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he's obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You've fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. You are running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. I'm confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who's throwing you into confusion, whoever that may be, will have to pay the penalty. Brothers and sisters, if I'm still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. As for these agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. 
Isn't that awesome? <laughs> I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. I'm like, thank you, Paul. People in the Bible have a dark, sarcastic sense of humor like I do sometimes. Why don't you, why don't you go emasculate yourselves? <laughs> I love it. That humor, like Paul is such a good teacher. He understands that humor belongs in teaching, that humor helps to connect him with his audience. And of course, of course, though, sometimes the academics have to try to find a different way to take a, a sentence like that. I've read a couple of commentaries. One of them said, what Paul really meant to say was that the Judaizers should emasculate themselves from the body of Christ, meaning that they should remove themselves. Okay. And then another, another commentary said, no, no, what Paul really meant was that uh, he was drawing a connection between some of the pagan teachers of the day who actually would emasculate themselves, and he was comparing the Judaizers to those false teachers and using this as a way to compare them to the false teachers of the time. And maybe they're right, but I think Paul's just saying, why don't you go emasculate yourself? (laughs) You know, I think Paul is just like, whatever. He's just done with them. And I love that there is some humor in that, that Paul uses that in teaching. Um, When I was studying to be a teacher, we talked a lot about things like humor, um, things like the length of time that you speak, how these things affect learning. For example, um, there's something called the primacy recency effect. What that means is that people remember the first 10 minutes of what you say and the last 10 minutes of what you say. And everything in the middle is gobbledygook that is not going out the door with anybody. <laughs> so, so the perfect sermon is 20 minutes long. We like to be more than perfect here. So, so but uh, I'll try to make sure that you can track with me uh, as we go through. There's actually another area of education um, that folks study that I think really pertains well to what we're talking about here in uh, Galatians today. It's specifically talking about um, rest for kids recess for kids. There is a whole field of study in education where they talk about recess, which I think is great because if you ask any eight-year-old boy what his favorite part of school is, what's he going to say? Recess. recess. So you can be like, oh, good, you're getting your doctorate in recess because you can study recess at a lot of different, uh, at a lot of different schools here. Um, but they, they have recognized in academia that kids need time to rest their brains especially with the ever-increasing load of content that we're giving kids. They really do need time to just take a break. Of course, I think it's interesting that we've had to take this to collegiate levels to figure out what you could have learned on literally the second page of the Bible, right? People need rest. Hey, look at that. You could have just gotten to the second page of Genesis and found that out. Yes, people actually do need rest. But they study how can we give our kids rest in ways that um, give them life best, help them to gain information best. And um, they did a really interesting study specifically looking at playground layout. Like how do we design a playground that is most likely to be able to get our kids moving so they get all their energy out, they come back into the classroom ready to learn. So they did a study, they took a great big field and they put a set of playground equipment right in the middle of the field, okay? So then they had the teacher line up all the students, and they walk out to the playground, and the teacher says, okay, guys, go play. So the kids start playing, and the researchers tracked the physical movement of the kids. Where did they go in the space? What patterns were there in how they grouped together and where they went? 
Did this with a bunch of different kids to kind of learn the patterns of how they move around the playground. But then they made a change. They made uh, one important adjustment to the space. What they did was they did a second set of experiments, same playground, same giant field, but they built a fence around the field. All the way around the way outside edges, they built a fence. So and the teacher lined up the kids. They went out to the playground. The teacher said, go play. The kids went, played. The researchers recorded where they went. And the researchers found a very interesting pattern. They found that when there was no fence, the children determined their proximity based on the location of the teacher. They were all relatively close to the teacher. They would make sure that they were positioned in a place where they could still be in the secure zone of the teacher. When there was a fence, the kids didn't need the teacher anymore. They knew where the safe area was, and they went running everywhere. Now, for those researchers, that was great. That was great news. You know, I can hear my, my, my earring clicking on this, so we're just going to lose this earring for now. I apologize for that. Evan doesn't have that problem. Um, <laughs> um, so the researchers found that the kids determined uh, where they were going to be based on whether a teacher was present or whether or not a fence was present. When a fence was present, that boundary determined where I'm going to be. When there was no boundary, the teacher determined where the child is going to be. Do you see how this is going to connect for us in Galatians? Remember that God tells us in his word very specifically that we are to be with little children, be like little children. It's for one, those are the ones who understand how the kingdom works. And here's what kids show us in this research. That if we have a choice between being by the boundaries or being by the teacher, when that fence is in place, we're not focused on the teacher anymore. And this is exactly what's happening in Galatians. Paul says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Here's what happened. There was a fence around the playground. And inside the fence were the children of Israel. And Jesus came and he died on the cross. And the day he died, that veil was torn. And we suddenly had direct access to God. Us, through Jesus, we had access to God. And we no longer needed the law to keep us in right standing with God. Jesus came on that day to that chain link fence and he tore it all out. Left all those fence posts laying there empty. Took all that chain link fence out. And he said, you know what? It's not about the boundary anymore. It's not about the law. It's about me. You don't need to worry anymore about whether or not you step over that fence line. If you want to know where you need to be, eyes right here. Right? Just like a good teacher, Jesus says, eyes right here. That's how you know where you need to be. But the thing is, the children of Israel were quite comfortable inside that fenced area. They knew those boundaries. They'd gotten real comfortable inside those boundaries. Just like we get real comfortable inside our religious boundaries sometimes. It's a real temptation for us too. But Jesus took that fence down and suddenly other folks were coming in. The Gentiles were welcomed in. People who had never been allowed on the playground before were welcomed in. 
And there was a group, the Judaizers, who knew that they needed to let these new kids know what the rules were. And so they called these new kids over and they said, you see this, this fence right here, this, these posts? There's a boundary here. You don't see it, but there's a boundary here. It's called circumcision. If you want to be on the inside, if you want to be allowed to play on this playground, you need to be circumcised. Well, these kids were new. They were tempted to take the words of the folks who'd been there for a long time. And Paul won't have any of it because Paul knows that it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Christ did not tear down the law, tear down that fence for us to only give the power to determine boundaries to others once again. Mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he's obligated to obey the whole law. Is circumcision the problem? It's really not about circumcision. The problem is that these folks are not looking at the teacher. They're looking at the fence. There's a fence post there of circumcision. And rather than turning their eyes to Jesus and saying, where are we going? What do we want to do? These folks are clinging to this fence post and saying, this is my turf right here. We talked last week about some of those other fence posts, right? The, the special celebration days, the, um, some dietary restrictions. They're all fence posts, but there's no fence on them anymore. These are old religious habits that we're tempted to cling to rather than turn and look at Jesus and see where he's taking us. And this is something that we absolutely are dealing with in our everyday lives. Here's a great example. Because I'm a Christian, I don't allow my kids to celebrate Halloween. Halloween is a pagan festival, and any good Christian family would know better than to let their children celebrate that demon day. And other folks say, I am a good Christian. I walk in freedom. If my children want to celebrate Halloween... It is not appropriate for me to say no to them. We're trying to reach the world. It's a wonderful way for us to, to reach out to our neighbors. Which one is right? For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. Right? It's not Halloween or not Halloween. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself in love. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself in love. If you love your children and you are convicted that it is not good for them to participate in Halloween, bring that to them in faith, in love, with your eyes on Jesus, and you're good. And if you believe that your family is free to participate in Halloween, and your eyes are on Jesus, through faith, in love, Bring that to your family. To get stuck to either one of those fence posts, religiosity or freedom without consulting Jesus, is dangerous. Here's one thing I can tell you, though, and this is just a little, a little thing that is a pet peeve of mine. I can promise you that the wrong answer is to turn on your trick-or-treat light and hand out a tract. <laughs> right, a tract, and no candy. Be like... I give you the love of Jesus for Halloween. They're like, I'm going to give you some raw eggs later, I think, and 
and I can give you a little trick. Right? How does, how, does that, how does that show faith in love? It doesn't. There are ways for us to love our community. Let's be generous like Jesus. Let's be fun like Jesus. Let's be life-giving like Jesus. Freedom can never come from the fence. Freedom has to come with the teacher. Freedom can never come from the fence. Freedom has to come with the teacher. No matter where the location of that fence is, if it is driving your life, it is not going to bring you freedom. When your eyes are on Jesus, the location of the fence doesn't really matter anymore because you know he's going to lead you right. And sometimes folks say, well, that's a scary proposition because if you tell people that the law doesn't matter anymore, well, then they're, they're going to go crazy, right? They're going to run hog wild. Well, not necessarily. Remember, when our eyes are on Jesus, in some ways, Jesus has gone above and beyond the law. Remember, the law used to say, uh, don't commit adultery. What does Jesus say? Don't even look at a woman with lust in your heart, or you've already committed adultery with her. So it's not, it's not just willy-nilly. It's not chaos. It's eyes on Jesus, eyes on the teacher, knowing that that is the place of life and safety. The fence doesn't bring freedom. The teacher does. For through the Spirit, I'm in, at verse 5, for through the Spirit we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. Eagerly. Right? We know that the righteousness of Christ is coming to us. A little more every day and in completion by the end. When you are eagerly awaiting something, what do you look like? Are you just kind of lazying around the house, doing whatever you want? No, if you're eagerly awaiting something, you got that phone in your hand, right? If you're eagerly awaiting a call, a visit, communication from someone you love, you are as close to that person as you can be, right? If you're going to the airport to pick up a loved one, don't you feel yourself getting drawn towards the door as the time gets closer? You're just, you want to get as close to them as you can as soon as you can. You are eagerly awaiting we're eagerly awaiting the righteousness for, uh, for the right, let me make sure I get it right, the righteousness for which we hope. That righteousness is coming. And when our eyes are on Jesus, we don't run to the fence. And we don't run wild, we run to Jesus. In fact, let's look at verse 7. You were running a good race. Who, could I, who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? Again, don't you see kids in this? Because kids run to win. Kids run to win every time. If you're in front of a group of first graders and you're like, oh, excuse me, is there anyone here who's the fastest person in their class? They're all like, me, all of them. Every single hand in the room goes up. They're like, I am the fastest. They have such confidence in their ability. They're like, yeah, I'm in. That's what I love about working with the kids. You're like, um, and this happened like two weeks ago. I was like, all right, so is there anyone who wants to pray to Jesus and say, Jesus, if you'll give me a chance to pray for someone who needs healing, I commit to you that I'll say yes. Who wants to, who wants to say that prayer? Every hand in the room went up, and some kids, I kid you not, two hands went up. They were like, me, I want to pray, me. Kids run to win. They are in it. They are excited. They are ready to take it on because they haven't learned what we've learned yet, that only one person wins, right? 
they just kind of assume, well, it might as well be me. Someone's going to lead this person to Jesus. It might as well be me. They're not afraid. In fact, if you think about um, if the teacher was standing in the middle of the playground and the children were in the school still, and you told the children, when I say go, run for the teacher. And remember, Paul tells us, run as if you're going to win the prize. Okay, so now you tell the kids, when I say go, run to the teacher, and whoever gets there first gets a prize. How are they going to run? They're going to haul. Every one of them, they are going to haul. They are going to move, right? And look what we've got here. You were running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? Do you think kids are going to give cuts? No cutsies. No, you get the, if you're behind me in the line, no cutsies. I'm running for the prize. They're not letting anything stand in their way. They are going to run for the teacher, and they are going to win that prize. Wouldn't it be fun if we could do the same? To run with that confidence, to run with just, just letting go of all fear. If we just ran as hard as we could and didn't think about whether or not it was going to be us, we just thought, I'm going to get to that teacher. Jesus, I'm coming. I'm coming, Jesus. Can you picture him there? I really felt this morning like the Lord said that some of you, when you picture Jesus, the face that you're seeing is not true. You're seeing a face of exasperation, right? Jesus kind of going, oh my gosh, are you still dealing with this? Why aren't you over this? God looking at you with that stern, angry face. Friends, I want to tell you that is a lie from the enemy. That is not how your father looks at you. That is not how Jesus looks at you. Jesus, that good teacher, here's how he is. Come here. Come, come, come. Come. Always come. Always come. Come on. Don't wait. Don't look around. Just come. That's where Jesus is to you. When you hear those things in your head that condemn you, those condemning thoughts that remind you why it's not okay for you to just run hard for him, Get that picture in your mind and fix it. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Do you have Jesus in your heart? Then there's no condemnation for you. There's no angry face for you from God anymore. Jesus does not do this to you. Jesus does this to you. Come. Come on. Let's work this out. Let's get this fixed. Kids run to win, and that's why they get to stay so close to the teacher so often. Jesus, would you help us to do that? You were running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. Right? That's not the voice of Jesus drawing you away from running to him. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. I always had a hard time with that phrase. Like, I never really understood the whole, the whole yeast thing. And I know that it's like saying that, like, a little bit of something can have a big effect. And, but I felt like um, this week the Lord kind of showed it to me that, like, it's saying that a small thing can make a big difference. For example, picture that group of kids again who is going to run to the teacher as fast as they can. If one of those kids, for some reason... Um, gets distracted by a butterfly, right? Everyone's running for the teacher. Oh, butterfly. They go running this way. 
there's a really good chance that some other kid's going to follow him. That, that's just the way that kids are wired, right? One goes off course, now you get like all the ones behind them <laughs> go off course. That is totally what they do. That is kids. And that's what Paul says, a little yeast, just a couple people getting off track with that. It gets through the whole batch of dough. Friends, as the church, we have got to make sure that we are not letting that religious, self-righteous spirit get into our church because it's going to hurt the whole of our ministry. It's going to hurt our city. We need to make sure that we are focusing on getting faces turned to Jesus, that that is our goal, faces turned to Jesus. Every face in Cleveland, not fighting about the rules, but turning to Jesus. Um, I love how practical Paul is here. Verse 10, I'm confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who's throwing you into confusion, whoever that may be, will have to pay the penalty. I'm going to come back to verse 7, and I want to take this, these verses 7 through 10 and look at these. They are so practical. These are Paul's parenting techniques, Paul's teaching techniques. So parents, this is going to be super practical for you. Whether your children are still in the home or if you have adult children, it's going to be super practical. If you do not have children, if you are not a parent, this is as important for you as it is for anyone else because our community is filled with spiritual orphans. We have a whole city full of people who are starving for someone to speak life into them. And it's us. That's us. That's what we're called to do. We are called to find these folks and speak life into them. And we're going to go through today, we're going to study how Paul uh, instructs the Galatians, how he teaches them, how he parents them. And then we're going to talk in some really practical ways about how we can take that and apply it to our own lives. So Paul starts with this. You were running a good race. You're running a good race. Paul starts by reminding them of their victories. Right? You were doing great. I remember. Do you remember when I was here last time? And you guys were just so true to Jesus. And we talked about the importance of, of living in purity, but keeping Jesus at the forefront of everything. Paul starts with reminding them of their past victories. Secondly, uh, I'm going to skip down to verse 10 here. I'm confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. Paul speaks faith over their future. He speaks faith over their future. I know you're going to do the right thing. I believe in you. I know who you are. I know who you're called to be. I believe in you. This is going to come together. And finally, Paul says, the one who's throwing you into confusion whoever that may be, will have to pay the penalty. Does Paul say, I'm going to find them and bust their chops? No. He says, their penalty is coming. Paul gives it to God. He says, whoever it is that is causing this trouble is not going to distract me from you because you are the one I love. You are my concern. So whoever that is, I'm going to give it to God and let him deal with it but you are mine. So here's what Paul does. Here's how Paul deals with our Galatians. He reminds them of past victories. He speaks faith over their future, and he gives it to God. 
Is that how you interact with difficult people in your life? Let me start by telling you that it is often not how I deal with my kids. So please know that um, there is no, I'm preaching to myself as much as I am to anyone here. But, you know, we talked last week about how our voices can be a blessing or a curse. And we're called, folks, to be a blessing in the city of Cleveland. And it's got to start with how we're using our words. We've got to learn how to speak blessing over people, how to speak life to people. So we're going to go through this in some really practical ways. Let's think about, um, let's say you're a parent and you have a sixth grade son who uh, you've just gotten a note that he is in trouble for bullying and you need to come into the principal's office. Here is what that conversation, the resulting conversation, would sound like in a lot of homes. I cannot believe I've got another note from your teacher. Day after day, all you do is make bad choices. For years now, I've been telling you that if you don't get this under control, you're going down a bad path. You're going to end up in jail. You have no self-control. You have no self-discipline. You don't care about anyone except yourself. And you're going to end up reaping what you sow. Right? Is that a familiar dialogue? Okay, that's not a dialogue. Are those familiar words? Does that match this pattern that Paul has shown us? No. It calls out and reinforces every ugly and dark tendency the child is already struggling with and leaves him completely on his own, hopeless, and unable to solve the problem. Let's see if we use Paul's technique. How would that look different? You know what, son? I remember when you were little. I remember when you were four years old, and I would take you to all these different playgrounds. And every time we went to a playground, you would run up to every kid there, and you'd say, hi, want to be my friend? Want to be friends? Let's be friends. Hey, let's be friends. And you would run over to me, and you would say, mom, I just met this kid, whose name I don't know. I just met this kid, and he's my new best friend. Right? I remember that, son. I remember those days. I remember how much you love being connected to people how much you love reaching out and making new friends. I remember that, son, and that is who you are. That is at the core of who you are. You love being connected. You love being with people. You love being friends with people. And I believe that that's going to be you again, son, because that's who you really are. I am your mama. I am your daddy. I am your friend. I have known you since you were little, little, and I know who you are. And you are a boy who loves connection and friendship. And it's coming again for you, son. Let's take it to Jesus. Do you want to pray? Do you want me to pray over you? Are you not comfortable with me praying? I can pray separately if my prayer makes you uncomfortable. Do we want to just sit quietly together? You want to sit right here next to me real close because physical touch is your love language and you can't talk to me, but you'll let our shoulders touch? Do you see the difference? Speaking life, calling out the best. Now, does that mean that the child doesn't get grounded, doesn't get punished? No, not necessarily. That's where you need to go before the Lord and ask what the right course of action is. But the first step is getting back on the same page. Speaking life and blessing over the child.
it's not just our kids. Like I said, let's think about a work situation. Let's say you work at a bank. Let's say you work at Wells Fargo Bank. And there is immense pressure for you at your job to open new accounts with families. And there's a woman that you've worked with. Her name is Gina. And you've discovered that Gina is using some deceptive and very high-pressure tactics to try to increase her sales figures at work. Here's what Paul's conversation with Gina might look like. Gina, I remember my first week when I was working here. Do you remember this? There was a woman, I think she was a single mom, and the bank had given her a bunch of bad fees, and like you saw that it wasn't her fault, and management was all like, oh no, she's just got to pay it. But remember how you like went back, and you like looked at all of her transactions, and you fought so hard for her, and you made sure that she got all of her money back from the bank? I remember that day. I was so impressed. You are such a woman of integrity. You are the kind of person who fights for the little guy. I have so much respect for you in that. Reminding her of past victories. Speak faith over their future. Gina, I know that this has been a difficult time in this culture. There's been so much pressure. But I believe in you. And I really believe that you are going to fight for the little guy again. I saw that in you. I saw how passionate you were about that. And I really believe that that is coming out in you again. I think that's who you are. And I love that about you. Can I pray for you, Gina? I've actually been praying for you. I just I want you to know, because I know that the reason that you were sensitive to those pressures is because you've got kids to feed at home. This isn't just an issue of good and bad. This is about whether or not your kids are going to eat. So, Gina, I want you to know I've been praying for you. I've been praying that God would provide for you and your family. But I want to ask you, is there something else that I can pray for for you? Because I believe in you. You don't have to be Gina's boss to have that conversation with her. You don't have to have any authority over her at work to be able to share those words with her. And Gina might say, oh my gosh, no. She might. Or maybe she'll break down in tears and the Holy Spirit will show up and she'll repent of every sin she's ever committed and she'll come to Jesus that day. If I said to a first grader, hey, do you want to go pray for Gina at work? Do you know what they'd say? Right? Two hands up. They're in. What if it doesn't go well? Okay, well, you were obedient to Jesus and you brought life to someone who needed it. Paul gives us such, great, such a great practical example here. And how about, how about the city of Cleveland? You know, in many ways, we are being called to be a spiritual parent to our city. Our city with the record of being the lovable loser. Isn't it crazy how we, like, embrace that? We're like, oh, it's lovable. No, it's loser. We're not accepting that anymore. We're not accepting lovable loser anymore. That is not who we are. Cleveland has greater things prepared for it. So let's take Paul's technique again and speak life over Cleveland. Hey, Cleveland, do you remember how you were a captain of industry back in the day? This country was built on your back. How about Ohio, home of astronauts, home of presidents? Cleveland, four gorgeous seasons, giant, beautiful lake, rivers, you could, you could pet a cow and see the orchestra in the same day. It's Cleveland. There's so much here. 
You've got so much going for you, Cleveland. Victory has been in your past, and Cleveland, you are positioned for a future that is so bright. Right? Look at medicine. Look at technology. Look at, they're saying, oh, crumbling infrastructure. No, opportunity to rebuild. Here it comes. Cleveland is going to be what we make of it. And folks, we have got to drive the dialogue using the technique that Jesus has given us through Paul. Help Cleveland remember how much we have going for us. And then we give it to God. We remind Cleveland of how great it has been. We remind Cleveland that God has a plan for this city. And he's not taking no for an answer. Victory for Jesus is coming to Cleveland. It's coming. And it's going to come through us, and it's going to come through other churches, but it's going to come through Jesus. That is where the victory is going to come for Cleveland. We give it to you, Lord. Right now, we give it to you. Lord Jesus, would you come and just have your kingdom make its way through Cleveland? Just come and let your kingdom fall on Cleveland, Lord. Let your kingdom fall on Cleveland. You have built this city with a purpose, with a purpose in your kingdom. And we say yes, Lord. We say yes, we want to be part of it. We're not going to say the tribe's going to blow it. We're not going to say that. Right? We're just, we're not going to say it. Even if, even if that little thing in our heart suspects a little bit, we are not going to give power to those thoughts anymore. We are going to speak life. We are going to say, look at how this city is rallying around this team. They're doing great. First calves, now the tribe, right? Look at the Cleveland Browns. How ridiculous is this? The Browns, okay, I know, I know. So there's the Browns. Did you know, I believe this is still true. It was true for the longest time. The Cleveland Browns have more fan clubs in other cities than any other professional football team. You know why? Because Cleveland is loved. People believe in the city. Maybe not the Browns so much, but they believe in the city. And life is coming to Cleveland. I'm excited about being part of that with you. But it can, be, it can feel very vulnerable and very dangerous to be willing to step into that faith for the future. Right? It can be very vulnerable. It can feel a little dangerous to step into that vision of God's future for Cleveland. And we need to go to him and let him help us through those things. I want to take a couple minutes to go before our Lord with these vulnerable issues. These issues of believing for our city. Believing that we can have a presence in our community that is driven by God. Believing that we can bring life to our kids. I want to take a couple minutes and just be silent before the Lord together. Silence in and of itself is kind of a scary thing. Let me tell you right now, it's going to be awkward. It's going to be a little awkward. It's going to feel like the longest two minutes of my day as we take two minutes of silence here. But we've learned we've really been practicing silence as a staff, and the Lord speaks. When we take the time to not look at our phone, to not receive input into our ears, to not even interact with each other, to not even run our laundry list with Jesus, but to just be silent before him, God speaks. Before we start, um, I want to have a little true confession time. When I started at Vineyard, um, there would often be someone up here who would say, uh, we're going to pray. Open your hands if you're comfortable praying. Or open your hands. If you'd like to, open your hands in prayer. 
And every time they would do that, I would go, right? <laughs> I'm not opening my hands. You people look like a bunch of weirdos. I was just really, I don't, there was something about that that was just so, it made me really uncomfortable. This, like, what do you, do you want five? I don't know. Why are you going like this? And then there was a day when someone from up here said, if you're comfortable, open your hands, we're going to pray. And I only remember who it was. And then they paused and said, you know what? If you're not comfortable doing that, try it once. Just try it once. Try opening your hands like this. And I didn't want to. It felt foolish. It felt vulnerable. Um, it felt fake to me. I felt like I was being a hypocrite by doing this because somebody told me to do it. I'm like, it's not even genuine. That's not even your idea why you're opening your hands. But faith is spelled risk, right? R-I-S-K. And I was like, fine. And I put my hands out. And before I knew what was happening, oh, I shouldn't even tell you this because then it's going to make you not want to do it. Before I even knew, like tears are just rolling down my face. My whole like first year at Vineyard was just spent with tears rolling down my face every minute I was here. Um, but I learned that when we do this, it is being vulnerable to God, and he thrives in it. Our vulnerability is an invitation to Jesus. Our vulnerability is an invitation to Jesus. It's saying, okay. So even if your hands are like this, not like this, but if your hands are like this and your face is like this, because you're just, you're so uncomfortable doing it, Jesus will meet you there. He'll meet you there. This is a safe place, and he is a safe God. He wants to meet with you and talk to you and speak life over you. And when Jesus talks to you, it's not going to be angry. It's going to be like this. It's going to be loving. It's going to be life-giving. So if you are comfortable, if you would, please close your eyes, open your hands. And now if you are not comfortable, if you would consider opening your hands. Of course, there's freedom, right? That's what Galatians is about. You don't have to open your hands. It's not going to hurt my feelings. But we just want to invite you, Holy Spirit. Speak to us about the message you've shared with us today. Come, Lord.